stay now Tories if you've got to go away And defect to reform UK Stay now Won't you stay till holy day Stay now Rwanda bill returns to fort Me split the party in two Now everything that I do seems to be wrong Stay now Tories if you've got to go away And defect to reform UK Stay now Won't you stay till holy day Stay now For 13 years we've been taking the A few more months wouldn't go one minute Stay now And won't you stay till polling day Stay now The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual organisation or entity Hello Roger Hello, Adam, and Merry Christmas to you yeah, and everyone else. Merry Christmas to you as well, and uh, we're recording this on the 17th of December 2023. We're going to miss next week. Because it's Christmas! Yes, and we're also doing this one slightly late, because didn't you have a bit of a Christmas do to attend? Yeah, it was um, the pub Christmas do for my work on Friday night. Yep. Which was very good. We ended up in a place in Bradford called The Sun, which was a lot of fun. Very nice place. I felt safe in there. So for a night out in Bradford, it was very good, actually. I will say I was pleasantly surprised. And then yesterday morning, I took my kids with my wife for breakfast with Santa in the Broadway. And that wasn't too bad either. Because no one shops in Bradford, it wasn't too crowded or busy. Because you think it would be on one of the last Saturday shopping days before Christmas, but it wasn't. Oh, um, not many people going into Bradford now with all the negative stories about it. No, but ironically, that's actually made it better. And then today, I've been at my mum's with my children um, to just kind of see her before Christmas because we don't see her on Christmas Day. We'll see her on Boxing Day. Yep, and I'm guessing the people that you see in Bradford the most are all the students, aren't they? It was actually quite a nice mix, but we were in the Broadway on a Saturday. But by now, I imagine a lot of the students will have gone home for the holidays. That's true, yeah, there will be, yeah. So probably explains, yeah, because they have an early finish at university. So probably explains why it was quite quiet. Um, but yeah, so that's the reason why we are recording it on a Sunday. And obviously, I have work on a Saturday, so we can't record it on a Saturday anymore. Um, next week, we've decided to give it a miss whilst we go over Christmas, but we will be back for the next uh, week after where we talk about our predictions and the review of the year. Absolutely, because we are Adam and Roger Break the News, and every week Adam and I meet, either virtually or usually over at Adam's place, and we chat about the news and what we think of it. So that's what you've let yourself in for for the next half hour to 40 minutes. Might be a little bit of a shorter one this week because... Adam and I are both stretched to our limit, but we've got a good bag of news today, haven't we? Yep, and I could have had many more stories. It's been a very big news week. I could have talked about Rwanda. I'm not even talking about the lead story this week. It's been such a big news week. I think we've avoided a lot of the big news stories this week because they're just so horrible and we've run out of stuff to well, say about. the Rwanda stuff's not necessarily 
horrible because obviously I know in the small boat crossings do need to be stopped, but we've talked a lot about this and it's just about the parties being divided. So uh, this week we're actually talking about some real news. So yeah, we've picked the news this week that Adam and I feel we've got stuff to say about that's interesting. If you do want to hear about some of the other stuff that's going on, look in our backlog on Red Circle and enjoy some of our old episodes. I usually take old episodes down after about six months, unless it's one of our special historic ones. So get them while you can. Yeah, please do. And uh, like I say, we've got a lot of news to uh, break this week. I believe you are finished for Christmas. Is that right? No, I've still got two days of work left. Okay. You'll be working flat out with overtime all the I way am. To, I'm working all the way up till Christmas Eve, and then who knows what will happen after that. Been very busy. I've worked the last two days, and I'm working all the way up until Christmas now. So it's going to be tough. It's already tough, but uh, it's not actually a, ma- uh, a bad job, to be honest. So, yeah, um, the job's actually quite easy. But, yeah, it's just, just a lot of hours. And also, I just want to give a shout out and respect to anyone who is working over Christmas, especially Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. My brother works in a lab for the NHS, and it's very likely he'll be working on one of the Christmas days. So respect to those people who do that. Yep, and I'll be working Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day because the shop's shut, but I'll be working Christmas Eve. I hope your employers are giving you plenty of overtime. They are. Well, they're giving me plenty, yep, and I've accepted all of it. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, But one thing that it does mean, it does come at a consequence. It means that I can't do as much running. Um, I got 2017, which is 26 seconds off my PB at a heart and a bit slower. But I did actually win the race um, on Saturday. So... Yeah, I was happy that I won it, but I was, I was a bit disappointed with my time. I say good on you. Well, everyone else is entering hibernation for Christmas. You're ahead of the game. Well, I am at that. I'm still, still uh, I, I won it. I bet you were you were shocked that I said that I didn't do well when I won a race. You are always <laughs> humble, Adam. But like I said, I don't think I'll win one for a while, but who knows? I might win one in a few months, perhaps, maybe, depending on what I'm doing. Because I wouldn't be surprised if in January all of the New Year, New Me mob come out and you get hundreds of people at the races again. Yeah, uh, I think we'll get a lot more people coming um, coming in January again when people are less busy with stuff. Some of the races did get hundreds of people. It just depends on which park run I go to like Harton's always a very quiet one I've won Harton three times I've won bowling once and I haven't won any of the others before so it's Harton that I seem to win the most well if you want to make me and Adam's Christmas then you know what you can do dear listener email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com tell us what you think of the podcast share some news with us, or just wish us a Merry Christmas and we'll give you a shout-out on our next show. Yep, and Roger, if you want to do a New Year resolution, uh, I can suggest one thing. Come to Harton Park and do a, uh, and do a park run at some point. I'll do my best because I am re-evaluating my life in January and I'm going to um, change some priorities and stop doing some of the things I am doing and maybe taking up one or two things but yeah. I, need, I need to be spending a bit more time looking after me mm. because if this Christmas has taught me anything it's that I spend too much time 
running around looking after yeah. other people and, and forget about myself. And I'm guessing I've, you don't fancy committing to something else because obviously if you were to commit to it and to try and win a race, that'll take up a lot of effort and time, won't it? Yeah, but getting fit could actually give me increased energy levels. So one of the things I do need to do in the new year is lose some weight and get fitter. And then try to beat me at park run. <laughs> that's not happening. I always take my kids swimming on Saturday morning, so that's not going to change. But yeah. um, I do need to think about it and look at things, but it's definitely not going to affect things like this podcast. But every day this week after work, I've got home and I've sat on the couch and I've fallen asleep. I'm just too tired. I've got too much on. So definitely time to take a look at that and figure things out. The first story that I am talking about is how UK wage growth has slowed. Uh, the job market stalled and official figures reveal Pay growth, excluding bonuses, eased to 7.3% in the three months to October with a drop in vacancies. Despite slower earnings, they still outpaced inflation, making a Bank of England interest rate rate cut less likely. Payrolls and job vacancies declined for the 17th consecutive month. The cost of living crisis is lengthening job searches, with applicants feeling overqualified for available positions. Inflation falls to 4.6%, but the bank may hold interest rates to combat inflation. The unemployment rate remains at 4.2%, but predictions suggest could rise above 5%. Government back-to-work plans aims to address both unemployment and inactivity. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt sees positive signs in falling inflation and growing real wages while Labour's Liz Kendall criticises the UK's slower employment rate recovery compared to other G7 nations. Now what did you make of this news and I looked at the graph and it does appear that maybe the job market is weakening um, we're also news this week that the GGP fell by 0.3% as well um, in the previous month. It's not looking the best, is it? No, this has been a less successful month for the economy as far as Rishi is concerned. And it gives me less hope of a significant pay rise this April. But at the moment, especially with me and my wife working, we are coping but it's going to be hard for some people out there. Yeah, but um, we get the inflation figures on Wednesday this week, um, so it'll be interesting to see what they come out with, and um, if they are good, that will be uh, some good news for Richard. Richard, uh, do you think the inflation's going to come down further than it did last month? No, but there are still hopeful signs out there. Fuel prices are still going down, and spotted supermarket prices seem to have gone up a little bit. I know that mortgage holders had some good news this week because the Bank of England kept interest rates the same. So it's not too terrible. No, and in America, they were actually talking about potentially cutting interest rates uh, by 0.75% in 2024. So once America start thinking about cutting interest rates, do you think the UK will end up following? Maybe in about six to eight months. 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But the inflation predictions for Wednesday, most economists predict that inflation will fall from 4.6% to 4.4%. So it is expected that there will be a drop in inflation. And from looking at the stuff, I can't disagree with them. I do think there will be a slight drop in inflation. But uh, month on month, obviously, there will still be probably a slight gain. Uh, they're predicting about 0.2%. I reckon it'll be more like 0.1%. It might even be another flat month, to be honest, because fuel prices have fallen a lot. So that's having a big impact on inflation because they've come down quite a lot, haven't they? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Getting over 200 miles worth of fuel in my car for 30 quid. Very happy with that. And although they've flattened a little bit in the recent days, to be honest, if the economic situation doesn't look the best, fuel prices could even fall even further. And that's really good news for anyone travelling over Christmas. Yes, it is. But I think that might also be a reason why fuel's going down, because people do tend to enter a sort of hibernation this time of year and travel less. Well, the reason why the fuel price has fallen is because the crude oil price has uh, fallen very heavily. Um, it always falls in line with what the crude oil price has fallen. And because that's fallen quite a lot, that's the reason why the petrol and diesel prices have been um, falling um, significantly. So I do think they'll continue to fall and I think the reason why the crude oil prices are falling is because now there's actually weakening demand for oil because countries are starting to enter recession. So that's actually reducing the demand. So that's actually bringing the prices down, which is actually a good sign for consumers, but not great if it's being caused by a recession. Tracking the crude oil price, as you've proven, Adam, is a very good way to predict fuel price changes. Yes. Have you been I, watching that? No, because I can think of a better way to predict them. Basically, watch me. If it's a day that I buy fuel, you can guarantee the next day it'll be cheaper. <laughs> That's the way it feels like for me anyway. Uh, do you always put in and then they always uh, knocked it down or not? Yeah, I, dr I drive past Morrison's the next morning. I'm like, oh! <laughs> like I say, if you'd have checked the price and realised it had fallen, you'd know that it, it always takes a few days for the supermarkets to adjust the prices. True, but when Red Rio needs fuel, Red Rio needs fuel. That is true. I do tend to run my car until my fuel tank is nearly empty because all of my driving instructors advise me that's a good thing to do because otherwise you just end up with gunky fuel in the bottom of your tank all the time, which isn't good for the car. At least you're being sensible of it. And like I say, when your car needs fuel, it needs fuel. So I don't think there's really an awful lot you can do about that. But yeah, even so, predicting the prices of the fuel is not exactly the easiest thing to do anyway because it's up to the supermarkets what they set the prices at. They don't actually have to put them down, although um, they're likely to choose to put them down if the oil price does come down. And we're not all as talented and passionate about numbers as you are, Adam. No, um, I always follow them, but I don't think you always follow them as much as me. And one thing that I have also noticed is that the gas prices seem to have dropped an awful lot as well. All the more reason to whack the heating on. It's actually not been that cold this December either. Well, there were a few days earlier on, wasn't there, that were cold. 
Uh, I remember when I had your park room when it were minus three. So we have had some cold days, but now it seems to have gone quite mild for December lately. I mean, look at tonight. The temperature, on according to my phone, is in the double digits right now at half past seven on Sunday the 17th of December. Yep, so it's actually very good. And like I say, we're only eight days away from Christmas, aren't we? Yeah, and one of the um, kids at my school on the podcast we do uh, decided to talk about weather at Christmas and say if it would be a white Christmas or not, and it really made me laugh. She said, on Christmas Day, it might snow, but then again, it might not. <laughs> I thought that was a very good weather forecast there. <laughs> yeah, because that means you're going to get it right either way. It might do, it might not. And it's that time of the month, Adam, for one of your favourite set of numbers. Yes, mid-month. Well, I always find the GP registration numbers. They might go up or they might go down. <laughs> yes. A drum roll, please, everyone. They went up. There are 100,131 more patients registered at GP practices on the 1st of December 2023. Oh, Jesus. I think it may be down a bit on the last month, but going by last year, it is up. Which brings the total number of patients registered to 63 million. So we're over 63 million now. 49,603. The rise is higher than the 98,916 increase for the same month last year. So more patients are registered this December compared to the same month last year, which means that, yes, the population increase is getting faster. In a country where we're supposed to have only 56 million people in 2018. Yes. So... Uh, it just goes to show just how wrong the ONS figures actually are. I think they're really underestimating the amount of people in this country. And I don't even think everyone's registered with a GP in this country either. I doubt it, especially not judging from the A&E attendance we have. No, there's plenty of people that don't want to be registered, don't want to even be known about in this country. It does mean that... Um, Actually, you'd expect the NHS to get worse, but the NHS has actually got better because the NHS waiting list has decreased for the first time in a year, dropping to a backlog of 7.71 million treatments from a record 7.77 million in September. New figures also show a decrease in individual patients on waiting lists from 6.5 million in September to 6.44 million in October. Despite improvements, 10,506 people in England waited over 18 months for a routine hospital treatment, up from 10,201 in September. In November, 144,805 patients waited more than 12 hours in A&Es across England, a decrease from 152,115 in October. A&E performance saw a decline with 69.7% of patients seen 
within four hours in November, down from 70.2% in October and a record low of 65.2% in December 2022. The NHS aims for 76% of A&E patients to be admitted, transferred or discharged within four hours by March 2024. Dr. Tim Cooksley warns of emergency care services in survival mode, anticipating challenges in delivering high-quality care. NHS England data also indicates an increase in winter viruses with rising flu and norovirus cases, although urgent cancer Referrals improved in October, reaching 71.1% diagnosed within 28 days. The target is 75%. The proportion of patients waiting longer than 62 days for cancer treatment slightly decreased to 63.1% with the target set at 85%. So some good news in the NHS. This data actually surprised me. Did it surprise you? Pleasantly, and kudos to them. They're just going to need another two or three years of news like this, and maybe they'll catch up and be a reasonable service again. Yeah, I, I wonder how they've managed to turn it around like that. That, uh, yeah, that did come as a bit of a surprise not to see it rise. Well, I did say on the podcast before, long waiting lists, if they get too long can be a problem that sorts itself out as people well, it, die. it can be a problem that sorts itself out, but I'm not necessarily sure that's happening. I don't think there's been strikes that month, so that may have helped. Maybe Richard Gov- Sunak's government is actually working for once, so maybe, uh, maybe they're going to sort it out and bring these NHS waiting lists down. I think the NHS are working a lot better since the strikes they seem to have focused less on politics and cultural stuff and making ridiculous TikTok videos and things like that and focused back on patient care and getting that right and fast and staying focused. Less new initiatives and, you know, and new computer systems and new systems are working and more just getting on with the job. And I think giving them that space and freedom is what's helped. Yeah, and don't forget, I think I remember reading maybe a few months back that if there were a big waiting list in one area but less in another area, they were going to give patients an option to be moved around. I wonder if they're going ahead and doing that perhaps. And stuff like that does help, so good on them. One of the things that baffled me the most in that article and where there is room for improvement is this A&E nonsense. Four hours waiting at A&E. If you are waiting four hours at A&E, you should not have been there in the first place. I know that they have to see a triage nurse and get transferred, but I think they should be telling more people at A&E to get on their bike. I agree, yeah, because the A&E is supposed to like people that have had accident and emergency. That's, why, that's what GPs are there for, to book appointments for health problems and stuff. So, yeah, um, I, I do think there's a, a lot of misuse of the NHS as well. I do wonder where they get the A&E waiting time from. Is it the time from when you check in at hospital to when you see a triage nurse? Or is it 
from when you get in the hospital to when you see an actual doctor. Or when you get in the hospital until when you actually finish at the hospital. Because the times when I went in with my daughter because of her fainting episodes, usually we were seen by a triage nurse pretty quickly. But then once they saw that, she was okay and it probably wasn't an emergency. Then we had long waits for the doctors. Yes, and I should imagine it's that that the uh, whole waiting times go by. They need to be getting that initial triage of people done quicker and having nurses that aren't afraid to tell patients, you're fine, stop wasting your time here. I honestly agree Um, with you. Maybe there should be fines for misusing A&E. I would support that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that would be a good idea. Or perhaps introduce a system where if you're going to A&E, you have to go to A&E with a reference. Either you go in an ambulance or you go with a reference from ringing NHS Direct first. If they want people to use that service to speed things up, why not make that compulsory? Unless, of course, they're dying or something. You know, the first question that the receptionist can ask them is, have you rung NHS 111 yet? And if they say no, out you go, give them a ring. Get some advice off a nurse on the phone, get a reference number, then come back. There you go. Roger has solved the A&E crisis. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's so many easy fix solutions to this, but they just need to be implemented, don't they? If people have the excuse of no telephone, you know, just stick it up your public phone booths near the A&E department. Easy peasy. Yeah, but at least they seem to be starting to resolve the waiting list, whether that is actually implementing moving patients around. I'm not sure. We'll need some more data in the coming months to find out whether that continues or not. But it is signs for hope, at least. I've got a medical story that I wanted to share on this podcast. It's actually not from the NHS. This is from the private sector of care. And as I have ageing relatives, I'm getting more concerned about the level of care that they may receive if they're not living with me. So this article really caught my eye. And I know you'd be interested in it as well, because it also has a link to immigration, which is something that I know you are passionate about, Adam. Well, it's something that I think is important and needs to be discussed, yeah. This is quite a, a long article. I wanted to keep lots of details in it because it's so unbelievable actually i had to check several sources to make sure i got everything right on this but the article that i have used is from the daily mail okay so it is a bit angry and biased but it's generally all correct a senior coroner has issued a warning about the inability of foreign health staff to speak english after hearing how carers looking after an elderly woman who died did not know the difference between bleeding and breathing. Barbara Rimel, 91, who suffered from dementia, died after she became trapped by a mechanical stairlift after a fall at the care home she lived at, with staff being unable to free her, an inquest heard. The report found that in a 999 call, her two carers, one Romanian and one Indian, were unable to explain to the emergency services what had happened to her and did not understand the difference between the patient being alive or alert, and had difficulty with the sound of the word breathing. You know, she's not breathing. So they couldn't understand the difference between breathing and bleeding. Their lack of English severely hampered the call handler's response and made a meaningful assessment of her condition virtually impossible, the coroner said. 
Following the call, Mrs. Rymel's case was classified as serious rather than requiring an immediate response. So when paramedics did arrive at the care home, she was dead. Senior coroner for Somerset, Samantha Marsh, has now written to the Home Office. In a highly critical report, she said the current test for foreign health staff is wholly insufficient. The Taunton inquest heard Mrs. Rymel's death occurred on her first day as a resident of Ashley House Residential Home in Langport. Imagine that, Adam, if your gran gets put in a care home and then the same day they tell you that, that she's dead. Just because the carers couldn't understand English. Because they couldn't understand breathing. The dementia sufferer arrived at the home on August 8th, 2022 from hospital, having suffered a fall in the community and was known to be frail, with blurred vision and at high risk of falling. She relied on others to keep her safe, the coroner said. She was the only resident with a bedroom on the first floor, but she was incapable of using the stairs or the stairlift on her own. Mrs Marsh said on her report... On the evening of the 8th of August 2022, two carers were on duty, neither of whom were native English-speaking nationals. At 7.27pm, one of the carers called 999 to request an ambulance. It was clear on the evidence that Barbara had been left unattended in the mechanical chair for around five minutes. So it was probably more like ten. During those five minutes, she has left the seat of the mechanically operated stairlift, possibly unfastening the seatbelt, and proceeded to climb the stairs, which she was unable to do so safely. She fell down the stairs, falling downwards. Barbara was found, having fallen awkwardly, landing with her head trapped under the chair for the mechanically operated stairlift. Care staff were unable to free her because of the positioning and angle at which she was entrapped within the mechanics. On calling 999, it was obvious that neither of the care staff were sufficiently proficient in English to be able to explain clearly the nature of the medical emergency. The carer repeatedly used the word blocked, which added no assistance. They did not understand the difference between bleeding and breathing. This made any meaningful triage of Barbara's condition virtually impossible. Paramedics arrived on a Category 2 response and on arrival it was clear Barbara was beyond medical help. She was pronounced deceased at the scene. The inquest concluded Mrs. Rymel had died of misadventure as a result of her fall, a combination of her dementia, frailty and mechanical obstruction of respiration. But Mrs. Marsh said she had been shown evidence that at least one of the carers' understanding of English did not meet the standards required to work in Britain. I was told that in order to work in the UK, those requiring a visa, as the two carers on duty did, must prove that they can read, write, speak and understand English to at least level B1, she said. Applicants for a visa must have passed a secure English language test. It transpired that one of the workers on the evening of 8th of August had never passed the CELT, so was not qualified or permitted to work in the UK. A spokesperson for the Southwest Care Homes said, Southwest Care Homes would like to express once again our deepest sympathies to Mrs. Rymel's family for their loss. We work closely and diligently with the authorities throughout their investigations into the circumstances of this isolated incident. We strive always to offer the best possible care to all our residents, and since Miss Rymel's death have instigated a range of management and auditing improvements to further enhance the care we provide at Ashley House. What do you think, Adam? Well, I think this is a failure, really, isn't it? A very big failure, because they're unable to care for her for a start, 
And then they were unable to communicate, to speak English. Didn't even get someone else to communicate who could speak English. So firstly, um, I think it was terrible, a terrible feeling um, of what happened. They should be ashamed themselves. I think it's all the care hub's fault here, to be honest. I agree. The two so-called carers are idiotic, incompetent scumbags who are working illegally, but they've just took advantage of a greedy, lazy, useless, psychopathic employer who have put these two idiots in charge of this woman who's, you know, someone's relative, who who matters, a human being. It's just a sheer failure. The poor English is one thing. Leaving her alone on the stairlift is just basic. You don't do that. You don't leave frail old people with heavy machinery, especially with dementia. And I also think this story makes a really good case for the importance of having a basic level of English. It's not about race or nationality. None of that really matters in this case. What matters is if you're caring for someone, you need to be able to communicate in their language. I agree, yeah. So there were many failings here and the care provider should be ashamed. They're putting profits over people's livelihoods here. And that's a blatantly obvious case of it. And I'm amazed that the spokesperson has the goal to come out and make a statement like that. That just shows what psychopathic scum we are dealing with here. I feel that a lot of places and businesses, um, whatever, are, are like that, unfortunately. I think they put profits ahead of everything else. If someone couldn't speak proper English, I don't think I'd want to put them in charge of my dog, let alone one of my relatives. Mm. If Rishi was smart, this is something that he can use to push maybe his education agenda about English and put more requirements in, stricter requirements about working in the UK and having that basic level of English, especially if you're entering a job that requires it. I agree, yeah. I think that's the best way that they can sort things out. Do you think a Labour government could do any better? Oh, no, a Labour government would care even less about this. they just say, oh, look how many old people we've got in care homes. That's reduced their waiting list even more. Labour messed social care up in Bradford and things could be about to get a lot worse. Yes, news from our city of culture, actually broken by the BBC. So when Bradford's in the BBC, you know something serious is going down. The BBC has news that Bradford Council will issue a Section 114 notice, effectively declaring itself bankrupt without exceptional government help. So a Section 114 would mean it may have to stop all new spending apart from essential services, including social care and waste collections. A £73 million overspend for the current year is predicted by Bradford's local authority. The government said it made £46 million available to the council and was open to discuss pressures. I'd, I'd tell them to get stuffed. Financial support for local authorities that the council hoped would emerge in the Chancellor's autumn statement in November did not happen, the local democracy reporting service said. The statement actually added to Bradford's financial black hole, the finance document reads. The council said it would have to implement a significant savings plan, likely to include job cuts, and carry out a plan for the disposal of council-owned land and assets. Budget proposals will be revealed early in the new year. 
A report going before the council's executive next Thursday says it will make a request for exceptional financial support over the next two years. It blamed government cuts and spiralling costs of children's social care placements for the predicted overspend. Since 2011, Bradford Council has had to find over £350 million in cuts and savings due to national austerity measures, inflation and increased demand. It continues, more recently, exceptional inflation and energy prices have put additional pressure on budgets for all local authorities. Councillor Susan Hinchcliffe, Bradford Council leader, said... Our finances, like many others across the country, are in a perilous position. We are being forced to look at all the services that we provide. Bradford Council bankrupt, Adam. What do you think? I do think there's been an awful lot of mismanagement within Bradford City Centre. For example, knocking down shopping centres only to build new ones. Spending loads of money on that uh, those roadworks, which if they have to stop all essential spending, they might just get put on hold and that will absolutely kill the city centre. Imagine that in the culture year, that the city centre just being left in the state it's in now. Which it might happen. Things like knocking down a big grey office block only to replace it with another big grey office block. I know, it is absolutely stupid and the public continuously votes them in. And I can't believe that the local council have the gall to blame things like children's social care placements when the only reason why Bradford Council aren't running children's services anymore is because they were so incompetent at it. Yeah. Now it's been taken into trust. So and they're not that, even running them, so they're actually saving money that way and they're still going to be going bankrupt. Well, because they left that trust so understaffed, the trust are having to make up the shortfall in social workers with agency staff who are half as good for twice as much. It's all gone bonkers as this council, but yet they're getting voted in. And if they make exceptional measures, the government uh, might have to approve it so that they have to raise the council tax by possibly as much as 15% next year, which will be higher than all the other local authorities. And that's just because Labour in Bradford mismanaged our money so badly we're going to have to now pay the price of possibly a 15% increase to our council tax. The hard-working, tax-paying people of Bradford, who are probably all looking for a way out of here if they've got an ounce of sense in their bodies. Do you think you'll be voting uh, Labour in, uh, at the next general election if they're going to run our city centre into the ground? Absolutely not. At a local level, I could never vote for this current lot. But I think people will still vote them because they dislike the government, even when the council are actually acting even worse than the government, aren't they? Labour are going to win Bradford again on a landslide. So that's but do they deserve to win Bradford on a landslide, do you think? Absolutely not. This city's been so poorly managed. But people, people don't look into that, though, do they? People think that national and local politics is all the same. But that's how you get exploitative characters like George Galloway in power because they see a chance to exploit this um, poorness of Bradford. Yes, I mean, do you think that's because of the lack of uh, opposition? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So a strong, charismatic character can do quite far in Bradford. We might end up with some characters like that, especially with the Israel and Gaza conflict. They might really exploit the situation and get themselves elected. 
I can tell you, if the news cycle stays the same, that is the number one issue that will decide people's voting in many wards in Bradford. I agree, um, but I still think uh, Labour will hold on to a lot of seats because there's no other party that people will vote for other than Labour. Absolutely. The only way this could be turned into good news is if the government say to Bradford Council, yeah, we will actually put a rescue package in for you. However, we want the chief executive and half of the board of Bradford Council to resign. Goodbye, Susan Hinchcliffe. They should have a massive pay cut, shouldn't they? Absolutely. Because I think Uh, some of those on the executive team are actually earning more than, wait for it, some of the MPs in Parliament. And I wouldn't put Susan Hinchcliffe in charge of a pizza stand. No. She's getting elected just by default each year anyway. She doesn't even have to do anything and she'll get elected. It's a shame, but we get the politicians we deserve because I think there's so few people in Bradford who actually consider and think about voting and take it seriously. Maybe there isn't a point of taking it seriously, though. People just vote for the same party each year anyway, don't they? And... People vote based on national issues and they don't look at the local issues and that's why we're, that's why we're in such this big mess. And if you look at the Telegraph and Argus, if you look at most of the comments, most of the people that are actively engaged and read the news are actually against Labour on the Telegraph and Argus, according to the comments. And there's so much arty, cultural garbage, nonsense happening in Bradford as well that costs a lot of money and he's always overpriced then the council needs to cut down on all of that look at maslow's hierarchy of needs look at what's essential and focus on getting that right first yeah but they're not focusing on what's essential to focus on trying to make the city stand out but like i say the city doesn't stand out because it looks really bad because there's so much crime changing the design of the city does not change the behavior of people within a city well, the behaviour of people in Bradford is everyone goes to Halifax or Leeds. Exactly. If people don't feel safe, they'll continue doing that. And with tents popping up all over the place in Bradford and beggars still everywhere, Bradford does continue to feel unsafe. Yep, unfortunately it does, and I don't see any sign of it improving. I don't think this Labour Council are going to sort it out, and I think we need a very, very good, effective opposition to sort it out. I agree. So let's see what the politicians do have in store for us in the new year. Yep, and don't forget there'll be mere local elections and do you think Labour will get even more seats from the Conservatives in Bradford at the May elections? In Bradford? Hmm, I'm not sure because Bradford has some rural areas that do tend to lean a bit more right. So maybe not in Bradford, but nationally, I think they're going to storm it. There'll be lots more chances to hear predictions from me and Adam Mm. after the Christmas period. I think our next show, which we'll probably record before New Year's Eve, I think on that show we'll discuss our previous predictions, as well as discussing some news. And then the show after that, we'll make new predictions for 2024. Yep, sounds good. We'll continue then. But if you do want to email us, get in touch. BritNewsPod at gmail.com. And be sure to share with your family and friends so that we can get some listeners. It'll be a couple of weeks' time before you hear from us again. I may or may not be as busy. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. 
But for the next week, I'm really busy. I think you're really busy as well, aren't you? So I think we've agreed not to do one next week. It's the traditional Christmas for me and my family, though. We'll be spending most of it at home, meeting family. What about yourself, Adam? Well, I'll be working up until Christmas, and then who knows what will happen then. But on Christmas Day, I'm visiting my mum, and I'm also going later on on Christmas Eve as well. And I'll also be doing, hopefully, a morning park run on Christmas Day too. What a way to start your Christmas. Are you doing a park run for Christmas Day, Roger? I'll be up at half six with my kids who will probably want to be unwrapping their presents by then. Yeah, and I don't think it'll be a very good park run. I think it'll be a bad time. I got a decent time last year. Probably do it at Myrtle again, but I think I'll get a worse time than I did last year just because obviously I worked too much running. But it should be nice. Get out, do a bit of a morning exercise. And then be able to just relax, celebrate Christmas and, yeah, see what the new year has in store for me. In May next year, hopefully, I can get myself elected and hopefully sort this council mess out. A lot of promise up ahead. But over Christmas, if there are two presents that you would like to give me and Adam, they are very easy. We're not one of those podcasts who asks you to donate to a Patreon or anything like that. All we want for Christmas is to download us and share, like Adam said. We should get our 800th download over the Christmas period, which will be nice. We've nearly had 600 on Red Circle and we had about 250 to 300 on the old place. So that will be good. And the big thing, of course, is your email. Breakthenewspod at gmail.com. Come on, it's Christmas. Yeah, definitely. And you enjoy Christmas and hopefully... If we don't get the next podcast out by New Year, have a nice New Year as well. Hopefully there'll be a podcast going out around New Year's time. Of course, you won't hear us again this side of Christmas unless something absolutely monumentous happens. Take care and have a restful Christmas. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. chocolate i'm with my beautiful and kind dad and my guinea pigs are just chilling i love you guys i love everything i love all my family and my least favorite insect is spiders but dad is the complete opposite i hope you guys have a wonderful christmas and i just hope you really 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 enjoy it so bye